Welcome to the NPO Media Podcast, a community service of the National Alliance on Mental Illness, New York City, Staten Island Chapter. My name is Pete, your host. This episode marks the first of a collaborative effort between NAMI New York City, Staten Island, and Five Flags Company Incorporated, both 501c3 non-for-profits serving the community of Staten Island. For this episode, I spoke with Chris. He chronicles his struggle of being a parent to a child with drug addiction. My name is Chris. Hello out there. I'm here to to speak about my experience with one of the members in the family that's uh, battling addiction. As a parent, my wife and I, we had no idea where it came from. We have other kids, and they're they're not like this, but there are a variety of children, and their character is different than another one. And some might go out and use, and others will not use. In other words, use uh, street drugs. Well, one of my kids decided to do that at a young age, and we as parents, we're not trained for this. We didn't know where it came from. But as the time went on, and my getting help, because I didn't know how to deal with this, I'm not trained for this, I had to get help. And that's what I find where a lot of us parents don't know how to handle this, don't know how to cope with this, to battle with uh, someone in the family that you love and you care about and you want to help them, but you find after so much time that you realize you cannot help that person, or we call qualifiers. It's very difficult to deal with this at home. It's an insidious disease, and we find that after a while, we need help. Even though they have the problem, we as parents, let's say, or other members of the family, we have to get some help. And I went and got help. When I did, I started to see things in a different light. I started to understand myself and the qualifier, which is the one battling addiction. Mainly, I had to find out about myself to deal with this situation. I realized later on, most of us that go for help, we go there to help the qualifier, the one dealing with the drugs. But we soon realize very early in life in these meetings that um, we're the ones that need the help in dealing with this. So we find we go for help and we continue so that we know what we can do, what we can't do. And we learn not to enable, not to let them do things uh, like let them drive our car or give them money, et cetera, as an example, because all they're going to do is use that to get drugs or they go to the dealer if you give them money, et cetera, as an example. But mainly our, our sanity, because we lose it, even though we're not doing anything wrong, because it affects us. There's feelings of love and compassion with the family member. And so we had to learn a different way, a different perspective in how to uh, have a daily routine, a daily life, uh, sometimes just one day at a time, uh, sometime an hour at a time, until each and every one of us uh, reaches a certain level of uh, understanding of what to do. Some never do, and they just don't stop crying. Others catch on quickly, but it's not the point. The point is to go and get help so that we can deal with this in a more uh, down-to-earth, civilized way. And whatever we may do, our life has changed, and uh, we deal with it the best we can. Having a family member with so many challenges must really take a toll. It sure disrupts the family big time. Each qualifier generally disrupts 10 members of the family, or 10 people. That's the usual general mark. There are many out there that do not go for help, 
they feel it's a stigma. They feel they're going to be judged. They don't want anyone to know. But the problem is, at home, they're uh, dealing with it alone. There's no one else for support. And they feel so decimated and alone. It's a horrible feeling when you're helpless to help a child that you made and you raised them. And now at a certain point, it doesn't matter if it's 13 or 18, 19 years old, 20 sometimes, a boy and girl, um, that you're helpless. And the saving grace is God and the meetings that we go to as family members and hope that the one dealing with the drugs, that they go for help. And some do and some don't. And in time, we have to make a decision. Should we continue this lifestyle with the qualifier in our home or should we put them out? Or should we put down rules and regulations and boundaries? Boundaries is one thing we learn to do and then each and every one of us deals with it in a different way. Chris, I've heard many express frustration over the fact that they cannot force their loved one to get help. We all have compassion for the, for the person involved, but there's nothing we can do. There's an adage we use. You can lead the horse to water, but you can't make the horse drink the water. Now, when you realize you have something like that and you're hopeless, you, you're helpless, it's a bad situation at home. But... The meetings uh, help us to go on, to get our lives back again, because our lives are lost when we're dealing with this in that mindset or, or heartfelt. The meetings help us get our lives back. It's a tremendous jump ahead. Those that are strong enough to go out and say, I need help. And those that do, get the help. The meetings are wonderful. The only people in the rooms are those like me and others only. And we all would understand each other because we're all in the same boat, as the adage says. And we help each other. And it doesn't cost anything. And it's a wonderful organization where we help each other in the rooms. It's grounded. It's uh, hope uh, that we have. It gives us strength by listening to each other's experience and we have things we read to do with this. It's such a wonderful thing to do, to realize that we can have a life. It takes time. Each and every one of us, it takes a different amount of time, depending on our character and personality, how we are. And I just hope that other people out there that have a situation at home with someone battling addiction to get out there and go for help. It makes a tremendous difference. Those that don't go for help, they wouldn't know. And unfortunately, they'll die of a broken heart. Physically, they break down. Things happen because it's stress. Stress is a huge damage to the, a person in various ways. And that's what this is. But when we go for the help, it, it's ta the, the stress dissipates a little bit at a time. It doesn't all go away, of course. But it makes a huge difference on us getting, for us going for help in these kind of situations. You have families that are wonderful families. I know a lot of people, moms and dads, in various aspects of the spectrum. They're great parents from different parts of the city. It doesn't matter. Addiction does not look for any color, age, religion, and none of that means anything to addiction on a person. We have moms that are professors, others that are washwomen. It doesn't matter what place in the world they come from. It affects everyone. And 
I've known a lot of families that have four or five or seven kids, and most of the kids are fine. But yet one out of the group of children that they have, for some reason, goes, let's call it left field, and uses and is a, becomes an addict. But yet the other kids from the same parents, the same house, are fine. What would you say is the main barrier to people getting help? What we need is not to be judged. That's a huge uh, thing that we worry about when we first start dealing with this. We don't need the judgment and the stigma. It happens to children from all aspects of life. So a stigma in blaming the parents is ignorance. Uh, I myself, before my member of the family uh, started to be um, an addict, I have to be honest, uh, prior to that, I would judge I would see, uh, you know, people in the streets that they were, and I would judge them. So I think God must have said, well, Chris, I think, uh, let me give you this member of the family. And when that happened, within one or two meetings, boy, did I get a hard lesson. The judging went out the window. I was so ignorant of this fact. Plus, I got to learn and I got to love my child. That was a big breakthrough for me. Instead of always arguing and all sorts of disagreements, disruption in the family. But I learned to uh, implement boundaries in my life, whereas at first when uh, Qualify was about 17 and ruined, just totaled the car, and then I started going to the meetings and I said, what am I doing? Giving an addict driving my car. What kind of outrageous, ridiculous thing I'm doing? And then if something happens, my insurance, I get sued. So... No more driving of cars. That's just one example. It took six weeks of arguing, and then that person stopped asking me for the keys. That's just an example. You learn to have a life. Um, It's not easy, but it works because I want to work the program. My wife and I and my qualified, it was like a three-ring circus. The three of us are arguing with each other. My wife on one side, me on the other, different pages, the qualifiers somewhere in the middle. And then finally, when we both went to the meetings, um, we both, my wife and I, got to go on the same page. That was a huge breakthrough. But only because I had the hutzker, as I say, or the strength to go out there and say, I need help. Show me what I have to do. For me, and I went to the meetings the first time, and it was for me. Other folks a lot of them went to fix the qualifier, but they soon learned within a, a one or two meetings that wasn't the case. And those that continued, they got the help. And they, I could see the difference with the folks in the rooms week after month after month, the difference in their behavior, in their attitude, that they got to be um, less anxious and concerned than uh, all the negative aspects of a personality. They got to become more of themselves, whatever their character was before. They sort of graduated toward back to themselves again. They got themselves back. As not only a family member, but also a leader in the support movement, have you seen a connection between mental illness and substance abuse? One thing I, I humbly observed is this. Most of the folks to have an addiction with street drugs or pharmaceuticals It looks like prior to that in grammar school, they have a co-occurring disorder, psychological, emotional, first. 
that a lot of the folks that go to drugs, they have that first. And it's very difficult for them to deal with it when they're in company with their peers. And they might feel left out. The other kids might make fun of them. They don't fit in. And it's because of their mindset, the psychological, emotional disorder that they have. And after a while, they can't take it and they self-medicate with drugs. Now they're an addict. Now they have another thing on their shoulders. What are some other tips that you might give parents or family members? NAMI is very helpful to all of us in the other end, the co-occurring disorders aspect, and getting help and getting involved, interacting with the folks there is so wonderful. And of course, um, some people never stop using. Other people stop. Uh, You never know. They don't even know. The only ones that know is God. The addict themselves don't know, or the parents. It's impossible to know. But those that uh, go to a program, the uh, qualifiers, they get help. They go get the help. They go to a 12-step program, and they get a um, sponsor. A 12-step program and a sponsor. I've invited how many folks that are battling addiction and are doing very well. One is clean 10 years, one is 30 years, 18 years, it doesn't matter, men and women, to the meetings, and they tell their stories. Every single one of them, their stories are all different, but one thing they all said that helped them straighten out, and that was that they finally went to a 12-step program, God sent it, and got a sponsor. And when you get folks that reach out and they go to their meetings, that is across the board, all of them had said. The 12-step meeting and a sponsor helped them because that's their support. Besides an initial 28-day program, detox maybe for a few days, then 28 days a program. Then after that, go to a residential maybe for six months or a year. Depends on the situation. But then continue for the rest of their lives in a 12-step program because once one is addicted, unfortunately, it's, it carries with them for the rest of their lives until God calls them. It could be arrested for 50, 60, 70 years and not use drugs, and they could become wonderful professors, wonderful dads, wonderful moms, great at work, etc., etc. but at a drop of a hat, they could relapse anytime. And that also happens, by the way, relapsing, uh, to those that are battling addiction. They, they're clean so many years, one year, five years, ten years, then all, they relapse, then they go, bounce back again. That's part of their lives. And when they're honest enough to know that and go, overcome that with the meetings that help them to do that. I think they are better people than me because they know what hell was like on earth and they said no and they straighten out. I don't know the other side. I was never did any of the drugs, so I don't know that side. But they had the courage to say no and go to the meetings, get a sponsor, straighten out. And for 56 years, until God calls them, uh, they're wonderful people. But they have that wisdom after the fact of knowing the other side. See, I don't. Uh, I know what a parent goes through and family members, yes. But they know the other side, which makes a little wisdom. And wisdom always trumps intelligence. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the NPO Media Podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. This podcast is brought to you by volunteers from NAMI, New York City, Staten Island. If you or someone you know is interested in participating in an NPO Media Podcast, please email us at info at npomedia.org.